You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron is here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. Uh, Cooley's going to call in here shortly. Andy a little bit later on. Uh, and we will do some other things that aren't Case Keenum uh, related, including uh, a free agency plan uh, that I had worked on uh, this week. Um, and by the time we get in here Monday, it's very possible that there were there will already be news about free agent uh, commitments and signings that will take place at the beginning of free agency, which is Wednesday. But the negotiating quiet period or whatever they call it actually begins on Monday. Well, we're we're here <clears throat> today and getting the podcast out a little bit earlier than normal because of the news that broke yesterday afternoon that Case Keenum had been traded to the Redskins. I don't think anybody had Case Keenum. If you did, congratulations. Aaron, I'll be totally honest with you. I was prepared or almost completely prepared to come in here this morning and say that the Redskins had had conversations with both Ryan Fitzpatrick and Teddy Bridgewater and were choosing between which of the two paths they would go down that it was going to be Fitzpatrick or Bridgewater. I was waiting for one other um, call, uh, and I hadn't gotten it yet, but I was pretty close to having, you know, every, every once in a while, every once in a blue moon, I'll have something, some news, and I was pretty close to saying the Redskins are going to sign when free agency begins either Ryan Fitzpatrick or Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I'm glad that the Keenum news broke yesterday so I don't look like a fool um, after the fact. But I I actually do think that they've talked to just about everybody um, with respect to uh, trying to to solve this quarterback uh, situation that they are in. Um, But the Keenum thing happened. And, you know, just to, to recap what happened, I'm sure most of you know, the Redskins and Broncos agreed on a trade. The Skins are going to send their sixth round pick to Denver for Case Keenum and Denver's seventh round pick. The contract and cap number for the Redskins is one year, three and a half million dollars. Denver owed him seven million in guaranteed for 2019. They restructured his deal and they just split it with the Skins to get the deal done. Denver wanted him gone, you know, after trading for Joe Flacco. There's not much of a market and there wasn't much of a market for Case Keenum. Uh, in the contract that he had, which is why they essentially gave him away for nothing and had to eat half of his you know, guaranteed contract in the process to get the deal done. My big macro takeaway on this is I don't love the player, but I don't hate the deal. Case Keenum for $3.5 million, given the current situation the Redskins have at quarterback, isn't that bad of a deal. And if you're really, really upset about it, you shouldn't be because this is an insurance policy. It's nothing more, nothing less. Uh, Let me get into more detail um, because I have, I don't know, eight, nine, ten thoughts on this. So I'll just ramble through them. Uh, Point number one or thought number one is that I'm not excited about the player. I I think he is an NFL starter but just barely an NFL starter. The team around him has to be exceptional. 
I don't think he's that much better than Colt McCoy, um, but McCoy can't play without getting hurt, as we know. As an aside, um, even though Alex Smith, uh, Alex Smith wasn't great last year, Alex Smith healthy has been and is a better quarterback than Case Keenum. So for those of you that, that tweeted to me yesterday uh, or last night saying, why didn't they just do this last year? They'd have Kendall Fuller. They'd have a third-round pick. They wouldn't have this huge contract number. Well, the answer is really simple. They thought last year, and I think justifiably so, that Alex Smith's a better quarterback than Case Keenum. Uh, thought number two. I do not think that this trade means the Redskins are done at quarterback. I don't at all. In fact, it's it's truly at three and a half million dollars an insurance policy. I don't think he was dealt for. Um, you know, this trade happened because they want him to be the starter. Now he may end up being the starter, but I don't think they traded for Case Keenum thinking definitively he's our starter in 2019. I think he was dealt for to compete for a starting job with Colt McCoy and perhaps a third quarterback. I think they looked at him as insurance for Colt if Colt won the job, all right, and got hurt or it didn't work out and Colt wasn't playing well, or because, God forbid, they get in that situation they were in this year and have to call Mark Sanchez. And clearly they think Case Keenum's better than Josh Johnson, and I probably would agree with that. But they looked at him as insurance for Colt if Colt ends up winning the job or if and when Colt gets hurt, or if they weren't able to get the young quarterback they want. And I still expect them to either draft a quarterback early, early meaning the first two rounds, if they really like somebody, or I think the trade for Josh Rosen is still in play. If they are interested in Rosen and they can get him for something other than number 15 overall. Rosen or a rookie in the draft, to me, still very much in play. The Keenum deal didn't eliminate that as a possibility. This is sort of my option for Aaron with Tommy the other day where I said veteran quarterback and you draft somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I didn't know that the veteran quarterback would be Case Keenum and come via trade, but really, for all intents and purposes, it's not really a trade. You swapped a sixth and a seventh and you're paying him three and a half million bucks. It's not, you didn't really give up anything in, in compensation and you're paying him what you'd really probably end up paying someone like Josh McCown or, or, or Brock Osweiler. Right. You know, you wouldn't be able to get Ryan Fitzpatrick for three and a half million bucks. You wouldn't be able to get Teddy Bridgewater for three and a half million bucks. So it's not really my option for actually. It's less than the option for. Uh, the other day, if you missed it, we had like five options on quarterback things. And option four for me, that that's the way I thought they'd go, was a Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then they would also draft somebody or potentially still trade for a Rosen, uh, but more likely than not draft somebody. Um, so I, I the net of this particular you know uh, point that I'm making is the trade for Case Keenum does not mean the Redskins are done at quarterback now. You got to look at their salary cap. The Redskins now have $20.4 million into Alex Smith in 2019. Colt McCoy right now is going to count $3.4 million. 
next year. Case Keenum's going to count to, is, will count three point five million. So Smith twenty point four, McCoy three point four, and Case Keenum three point five. So right now they've got twenty seven point three million dollars in three quarterbacks, counting against their two thousand nineteen cap. The salary cap uh, in 2019 went up. It's going to be uh, $188.2 million. So their quarterbacks right now account for 14.5% of their cap. Just so you know, if the Skins traded for Josh Rosen, he would count for $1.2 million against next year's cap. That's it, $1.2 million. A rookie in the first or second round isn't going to be much more than that. Also, as another FYI, and I tweeted this out yesterday because I think this could be interesting as you're going forward. Like if they were to trade for Rosen or if they got a quarterback in the first round or a Daniel Jones later in the first round trading back, you know, if they're not, if they're done with Colt McCoy, which I know Jay Gruden is, he's not done with Colt McCoy. But Colt McCoy, you know, would save money for them against their cap if they released him. Pre-June 1 and I think post-June 1 as well. I think they'd save about $1.3 million by cutting McCoy. So let's say that they ended up trading for Rosen. And they also have Case Keenum. At that point, they may actually think about releasing McCoy. But I don't think Jay wants that. I think Jay wants McCoy to compete for the job. But it's not impossible. Let me just mention that. It's not impossible that we could get to you know some point in the spring or early summer and McCoy could be released. Now, the next point. While I don't think this move was the last move at quarterback, and I don't, and I think that's really important, and I think most of you figured this out. A lot of you didn't figure this out early on, but I think most of you figured out once you saw the $3.5 million number on Keenum that the Redskins, more likely than not, are not done at quarterback. Now, they may not have a choice, meaning the Cardinals may not trade Rosen or the Redskins aren't willing to give up enough to get Rosen or the quarterback they want in the draft they can't get because he's gone or they'd have to trade up to get him. So it's still possible that they won't add another quarterback because... But I think their choice will be to try to add another quarterback. But the one thing now that is completely off the table is Ryan Fitzpatrick and Teddy Bridgewater. Those two are no longer an option. Case Keenum is the veteran starter or backup for Colt McCoy that they have decided on. Um, more likely than not, the reason for it is because he is cheap. Uh, next point. The Broncos did well to lower their cap hit associated with trading him. They did. But the Redskins did what they've done best during the Bruce Allen era. They got a good deal on an average player. It's Bruce's specialty. He's the king of nickel and diming the seller, you know, and getting a solid price only to find out he gets into the house and realizes ah, the bedrooms were a little bit smaller than I thought and the bathrooms and kitchen needed much more updating than I thought when I came up with this great price. He is the best at negotiating good contracts for average to sub-average players. At least as of now, Bruce hasn't extended Keenum's contract, and I don't think he will. I mean, I'm, I'm mentioning that because they did with Alex Smith. They're, they're not going to extend Keenum's contract. And let's just all agree that if, if they did pursue an extended contract for Keenum, that we'll all vomit together in unison. 
They're not going to do that. Somebody mentioned that to me. They're not going to give Case Keenum a, an extended contract. This is a one-year, $3.5 million insurance policy. He may win the job, but worst case, he's going to back up Colt or maybe back up a rookie or a second-year player like Rosen. Uh, trading for Keenum, to me, is another sign that Jay's decision-making ability on his quarterbacks is at best a shared process. At worst, his influence is minimal. Trading for Alex Smith wasn't his idea. It wasn't his call. And I'd bet that trading for Case Keenum wasn't his idea or call either. I don't think he had a problem with it. Joe, uh, Jay is go along to get along. The big difference, of course, is that they traded for Smith to be Jay's starter, not just last year, but for several years to come. They traded for Case Keenum to be one of the two or three quarterbacks that could potentially start in 2019. So I, th- I would guess that he, in his, in his typical way of being non-confrontational and not offering up much resistance, really didn't put up much resistance to this. Why would he? Give me Case Keenum, another guy that I can, you know, that can give Colts some competition in camp or a rookie quarterback that he can compete with. Um, if they don't or aren't able to make another meaningful move at quarterback, again, it may not be within their control. They may not be able to trade for Josh Rosen. The price may be too high. The Cardinals may de- may not want to trade him. Or the quarterback that they really like in the draft, they may have to trade up too far to get him and it's too expensive, or they can't even pull off the trade. But if they don't, um, if they're not able to make another meaningful move at quarterback, a Case Keenum Colt McCoy training camp battle isn't going to excite anyone, most notably the owner. I don't believe that Bruce sold Case Keenum to Dan Snyder as the 2019 starter. I mean, I'm coming back to the same thing that I think this deal is an insurance policy. Case Keenum wasn't sold to Dan Snyder as, hey, we can get Case Keenum for three and a half million bucks to be our starter next year. And Dan, they celebrated. Maybe they went to the Bahamas last night. That didn't happen. This is not a, a, a major celebration trade. I can't believe that that is what's going on in Ashburn. Nothing would surprise me. But it's a three and a half million dollar deal. For a guy who has started in the league for the last two years, had some success in Minnesota with a great defense and a much better offensive line with a much better offensive line coach, Tony Sperano, who tragically passed away last year before the season began. But this is not going to thrill anybody in marketing, in ticket sales. Case Keenum's not going to sell one ticket. Dan Snyder, I think, knows that. That's one of the reasons I think big moves are still to come. I still think Dan wants action. Whether it's a quarterback or whether it's somewhere else, he still wants the action. You know, if if they were able to pull off a deal for Antonio Brown, and how about the way that played out last night? Ian Rappaport reporting that a, de- a deal was done with Buffalo, and then Schefter pulling back on that, and who knows? I mean, Brown apparently doesn't want to play in Buffalo and nicks that deal. Shocker. 
Now, uh, Diana Rossini, I believe it was Diana Rossini who tweeted out that the Redskins are out on on uh, Antonio Brown. Yeah, I believe I can't remember who it was some one of the other national reported that uh, Redskins, along with a couple other teams, had backed out. I don't believe that they're totally out on Antonio Brown. Now, the only reason they would be out is if Antonio Brown told the Redskins the same thing he told the Bills, which is I don't want to play for them. All right, and I'm not going to sign a deal, I'm not going to report, and I'm going to be a pain in the ass. And you know what? It's possible that he said that about the Redskins. There may be a few teams that he's willing to get traded to. It's amazing. He's under contract, and he's dictating trade terms with his team. If I were at Pittsburgh, I would really – I've said this since the the jump – they should be doing their best to try to keep him on that roster. Well, what leverage does he have? Well, the leverage of holding out, I guess. That's fine, but this yeah. isn't a Levy and Bell situation where like, he gets fined if he doesn't. He's under contract. Right. Um, uh, but apparently, according to reports, if you can believe them, because right now no one had Keenum, nobody had Antonio Brown to Buffalo, and then as it turns out, it's because Antonio Brown wasn't going to Buffalo. But Ian Rappaport thought he was going to Buffalo. But Antonio Brown, if you believe the latest reporting, is he doesn't want to go to Buffalo. Uh, but I would guess that the Redskins, if the price got to to a level that they could deal with, I still think that Antonio Brown is exactly what Dan Snyder would want. He needs, look, he's going to need something to divert everyone's attention away from what will be at this point an uninspiring quarterback training camp battle. No one's getting excited about Keenum and McCoy. That's why I'm, I'm convinced that they are going to try still to either trade for Rosen or draft a quarterback early. Early meaning the first two rounds. Uh, but anyway, um, last thing on this too is that a lot of you had suggested t- on Twitter to me, and maybe it's because this was reported, and if it was, I don't know who reported it, so I'm sorry. Um, but suggested that this was the first step towards a bigger trade for Josh Rosen, that somehow the Redskins were then going to use Case Keenum as uh, packaged with a pick to Arizona for Josh Rosen. I, I may be missing something here, and I said this on Twitter. Uh, most of you agreed with me. I, I don't understand why the Cardinals, if they wanted Case Keenum, wouldn't just go to Denver and deal with Denver to get Case Keenum. There's nothing about that that makes sense, that the Redskins would trade for Case Keenum and then use it as a chip to get Josh Rosen. I mean, he might end up being in the trade potentially, but it wouldn't be a, like you say, it wouldn't be a chip. I don't, yeah, I mean, there, there's the, the reason people think this is because there's a relationship between Kingsbury and Case Keenum when Case Keenum was the quarterback at the University of Houston. But... I do. Okay, so why wouldn't Kingsbury just call Denver up and say, oh, the Skins are offering a sixth and a, and a, a, a sixth? We'll give you a fifth, and we'll swap that with your seventh. I mean, if they really wanted Keenum. But why would the Cardinals really want Keenum? Keenum isn't a quarterback that's going to back up Kyler Murray. He'd be a backup to Josh Rosen, but they could have just gotten him – Right. Directly with Denver. So, I, again, I could be missing something there, um, but I'm not – I don't think I am. Uh, anyway, um, look, the net of it is, you know, again, uh, my my takeaway on this in one sentence is I don't love the player, but I don't hate the deal. 
it really is truly what Bruce Allen does better than anybody else in the history of this organization under Dan Snyder. He gets average players for good contracts. He's able to figure out a way uh, to maneuver, to negotiate, to get a really good contract value on a really average to subpar player. It's what he's made a living doing here in Washington. And we know that this doesn't work, and we know the way that Vinny and Dan did it together for 10 years doesn't work. Um, But I'm not excited about Case Keenum as the starting quarterback. If he beats out Colt McCoy, and those are the two vying for it, and there's not a a third quarterback that has a chance. I mean, there's a there's a chance they could draft a Daniel Jones at the end of the first. You know, they trade back, they get Daniel Jones, but Daniel Jones isn't ready to be the starting quarterback in 2019. He's the developmental. He's the quarterback for 2020, 2021. That's possible. But the Redskins, I still think, have another move. I think there's another move to be made. Um, I don't think the Josh Rosen thing is dead, and I certainly don't think drafting a quarterback early is off the table. And again, they've got 14.5% of their cap right now taken up by three quarterbacks. If they added a fourth, uh, you know, it, it, remember, they they'd still they would have four potentially, McCoy, Keenum, and a young quarterback. The fourth is Alex Smith in his contract. And I think that, you know, the one-year move for Case Keenum, you know, if he were to beat out McCoy, um, may also indicate that uh, for, I mean, I think at this point it's it's definite Alex Smith is not going to be quarterbacking the Redskins in 2019. And if they draft a young person, it's even further confirmation that he's probably never going to quarterback the Redskins again. Uh, okay, um, that's it. Keenum, uh, McCoy, and we're still going to be talking about Rosen, and we're still going to be talking about the draft and the possibility that the Redskins draft a quarterback high in the first or second round. To me is, you know, you draft a quarterback in the first or second round, especially where the Skins are picking in the second round, you are drafting the quarterback you think can potentially start sooner or later. But you expect that quarterback to eventually start. When you start taking a quarterback in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, you're talking about truly a developmental quarterback that you hope can develop into a starter one day. But that's not why you're you, you don't anticipate that, um, or you're not counting on that. Let me let me say it that way. You're not counting on that. You draft somebody in the first or second round, you are counting on that person becoming your starter at some point. We'll bring in Cooley uh, here in a moment, um, but first let me tell you about Window Nation. Window Nation, uh, they are they have they they actually listen to this podcast uh, like many of you do, which is very nice. I'm a b- big fan of Window Nation. Harley's a good friend of mine. Harley and Aaron are two of the best entrepreneurs I have ever met. Eric, who's a big part of that company, listens to the podcast every day. He's a huge uh, sports fan uh, in the market. Uh, and I have had Window Nation install windows in my home twice over the last decade. So I'd ask you to give them a shot as well. Uh, why now in the dead of winter? Because right now you can take advantage of the best pricing of the year. Window Nation's award-winning installation teams need work, and the factory is running at half capacity, which means insane savings. For the next two weeks, buy two windows, get two free. That's two free windows for every two you buy. Uh, buy four, get four free. Buy eight, get eight free. There's no minimum. Plus, right now, if you buy windows from Window Nation, you will pay nothing for a full year. No down payment required, no payments required, and no interest 
for 12 months. Keep Window Nation's expert installers in the factory busy. You'll save thousands of dollars. Call now, 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. You're wasting money on high energy bills by not calling. Get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free, no limit, nothing down, no payments, and no interest for one full year. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell them that I sent you. All right, let's bring in uh, Cooley. Um, and you and I talked a little bit about the trade last night when it happened. Um, I actually thought uh, late yesterday um, that there was a chance that they were in the midst of going after either Fitzpatrick or Bridgewater. I'm glad I didn't go with that on the show this morning. Um, I don't know if you had heard anything about that, uh, but uh, I think they did talk um, to both Fitzpatrick and Bridgewater's agents, but they pulled the trigger on Case Keenum. Go ahead, give me your reaction to the deal. I've already done 20 minutes on it. Well, before you get into what I did or didn't know, just I'll remind everybody that every single time there's some form of breaking news, I'm informed of that news by you. Yes. So yeah, you have never. I, I, you, I, you are I not a source for any of it. Well, no, I mean I got a call from you yesterday, and you're like, "What do you think of Case Keenum?" I'm like, oh, Redskins must have got Case Keenum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't even know. You really are. I was out. Take, I was, I was, look, I was out. To, I was at the park all day yesterday. And obviously, there's there's a sense of when people are working and when people are when people are trying to wheel and deal, you you get some excitement in the park. And I don't I don't go and ask. I don't care. I mean, I'm making I'm spending the next three months installing an offense that I'm going to put together on film. That's what I'm doing. I don't I don't care about the breaking news. I, 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 I care, but I don't care about having it or understanding it first. So who are you installing an offense for? Redskins. I'm going to install it for the fans. Oh, you're going to install it for the fans. I love yeah, it. Like a coach, like 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 a coach would teach uh, the players the offense. It's not any kind of proprietary information. I'm I'm going to start with all the formations, and motions, and looks, and we'll start getting into plays and you know get to two three minute videos of here's two slants on this side and a slant and a flat on this side. Okay, this is how we're coaching it. This is what we're seeing, and then you can put a play on tape, and you can say this is how the play played out, and this is exactly how we coached it, and why we're doing it this way. And so that's kind of my next three month project over there at the park, because I want to be as far from breaking news as possible. Right. As I work out of Redskins. Totally park. useful for you to be doing it for a podcast instead of for an actual team, but that's a discussion for another day. Let's get to Case Keenum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so. You gave your take on on Keenum, as as I understand. My thought is this: you got a guy that is not the end of your quarterback chase in this season. It could be the end because there's a guy, there's at least a one and two quarterback that you believe in going into the season with. But you now do not have to sweat bullets as you try to acquire Rosen in a trade or another free agent, probably after the draft or you don't have to get to number 15 in the draft and say, we don't have another guy, so we have to take Daniel Jones. We're going to miss on a starter. We see Daniel Jones as the 25th pick in the draft, but what else are we going to do? We have to have a guy. And, and so I, I love it. I mean, you, you get a guy that Denver's going to eat all of the money on. It's going to cost you $3.5 bucks. He's there for a year. You lose a, a sixth for a seventh, which is essentially nothing at that point in the draft. It's like five points on the draft board, right. so no big deal whatsoever there. And I think it gives you a ton of breathing room. But to me, it doesn't mean that you're out on Rosen right now. It actually, if you focus just on the Rosen thing, I think it potentially can give you 
I wouldn't call it leverage, but you can go back and say, look, Arizona, no, we're not giving you your one. The one, we're fine. We're, we're fine here. So you're not gonna, we're not going to compete against ourselves because we don't have the position. We'll compete fairly against whoever else is in there. So if it was a two and a, a six or a two and a, a five or whatever it was, or if it was two threes, then you're fine with competing against everybody else. They don't, ha- they don't hold that extra wild card saying, we know you need this. We know you have to do this. So, so you're fine with Keenum in that instance, and then you're fine in the draft. And, and, and so you can get to 15, and, and let's say you love Daniel Jones. Maybe you trade that pick back and, and you get something else, and you go back to 23, 24, 25. Um, so I think that gives you a lot of leeway in the draft. It also gives you really potential to say, we're just going to take the guy that we like at 15, who's a starter, and we're going to do a good job drafting him, and he should be a franchise player because your 15th pick should be a franchise player, should be a guy that is probably a Pro Bowl player, plays for, plays into a second deal at minimum for your organization, and we'll see what quarterbacks might be available in the second round. Maybe Ryan Finley falls to 46 in the second round. So you're comfortable doing it in that fashion. So I, I think it's a tremendous deal. Uh, I also don't think it means that Case Keenum is your starter going into next year. I, I think that there's viable competition, which is what Jay said he wanted. Look, we want competition at the quarterback spot. And then it'll go into camp, and, and I think Colt still would have a leg up to, to have that job over Keenum. So I don't think it means a whole heck of a lot other than if you're in the Redskins organization right now, you go, okay, we can survive if Colt were to get hurt. Right. We're not, we don't need to trot out, you know, Mark Sanchez or Josh Johnson. I, it, I, it sounds like we agree on, on every single part of this thing. I want to make one thing clear for those that are listening. When Cooley talked about the leverage with respect to Arizona and Rosen, he's not talking about, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I made this point earlier. There were a lot of people that tweeted me that said, Oh, Sheehan, this is just the first part of a, of a chip with a trade with Arizona Keenum's going to be part of a deal that would go to Arizona for Rosen. And I, I just said, well, that makes no sense at all. If Arizona wanted Keenum, they would have just gone right to Denver. Why would they do it that way? But what you're saying is different. You're saying that the Redskins have a little bit more leverage if they're trying to go after Rosen in that they don't look to be desperate, um, that they have somebody there in addition to Colt McCoy that they can live with. Um, let's no, and in, in, in saying that, just a uh, that was an initial thought of mine is maybe that could be part of a deal, but think of it in this way. It's like, let's just say you're going to get Kyler Murray in Arizona with your number one, number one and trade Rosen. What if just on a, on a whim, Steve Kime, their GM and anybody there, Kingsbury, a Texas guy said, you know, the perfect player to help Kyler Murray out is it's Colton Coy. We'd love that. That that actually is is intriguing as as one of the better backups in the league and one of the better teaching backups in the league to say this would be a perfect guy. He's been comfortable behind Robert, behind Kirk. He's worked with a lot of this. He, he worked in San Francisco and Roman in this style offense um, when they were running a lot of the read option with Colin Kaepernick. Like if I was Arizona, I would actually be really intrigued in, in Colt McCoy if I if that were part of a trade. Interesting. I um, you know Colt McCoy. I, Right now, until they solve, until they continue to solve this problem with, and I agree with you, with either a trade for Rosen or a quarterback early in the draft, whether it be first round, late first round for Daniel Jones if they could trade back, or the second round for a guy like Ryan Finley, etc. Um, they, um, 
Colt McCoy's here, but it is possible, you know, they would save $1.3 million by releasing McCoy. Um, by trading McCoy, uh, yeah, I guess they, they, there would be a similar savings uh, as, as well. You're so on, You're just on the base portion of his deal, but exactly. you're, not, you're not trying to trade or release McCoy for $1.5 million. You're not, that's no, not. no, but if they, if they traded for Rosen, who would account for one point, right now, I, I, the math that I did, it could be wrong, but $20.4 million for Smith, $3.4 million for Colt, Three point five for Case Keenum, so twenty-seven point three million in three quarterbacks. Uh, it accounts for fourteen and a half percent of the cap right now. Now, if they traded for Rosen, Rosen's only one point two million on next year's cap. If he were traded here, a rookie quarterback, sure. similar number. So you could add Rosen without cutting McCoy. But I'm just saying, let's just say they added Rosen, and in minicamp he blew everybody away, and everybody realized Rosen was the starter. You could potentially release McCoy. You could release McCoy. You could also make it into camp with all three of them and have something catastrophic happen to some other team and have a lot more value in a guy like Keenum as you get into, let's call it mid-August, for McCoy at that point. But and, you, and you, get... can't, you can't trade Keenum at this point because then, then you're going to take the, the, the full $3.5 million, you know, cap hit. I mean, you wouldn't want to do that at this it, point. It just depends. On, yeah, no, you wouldn't want to do that. No, yeah. I'm, I'm with you entirely, but it just depends on where you're at. I mean, let's, let's say... Kirk Cousins got hurt in Minnesota mid-August, and, and Zimmer went, we'll give you a third for a guy that we know we can win with. Right. You would do it for that for $3.5 million. All right, tell us your opinion on Case Keenum, the quarterback, and then extend it out to, let's just say it comes down to, and I think you and I both think there will be a third quarterback involved, um, but if it came down to Keenum or McCoy, you know, your first gut instinct on who would win that training camp battle. So my thoughts on Keenum, one, I think Jay's involved based on the timing and, and, and how it plays out. You know, he's involved, he's right now scouting all the free agents. That's what the coaching staff's been involved in this free agency and all the potential guys that they could have. And so they And this quarterback issue's been an issue, so I think Jay's been looking at him. I think everyone's probably in agreement. I would bet you that Jay went and spent a lot of time or talked to Zimmer quite a bit and, and what Keenum was in Minnesota, which was a very good player. It was also a guy that had Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen or Feline, like, like Jay likes to call him, and, and Kyle Rudolph, and, and a pretty good running game in that year that he was there. So you, you get a sense of what he can do with some talent around him. Uh, I thought he made some unbelievable throws in Minnesota that year and, and challenged defenses a ton. So I like that he's got some guts. Uh, I, I look at a guy that's had to play in about four different offenses in four years. And I got to remember, I said this about Tyrod Taylor. I said this about all quarterbacks that have been other places. And there's a reason that they've been to three or four other teams. Right. There just is. Um, I haven't spent much, uh, very much time watching what he did in Denver last year. Um, I, I, I that'll be obviously my project today is to see what his year in Denver was compared to some of his year in Minnesota last year. And I'll be interested in that. But um, I think he's a guy that can make some plays. I think he's a guy that can take that. Obviously you've seen take a bunch of risks that maybe you don't necessarily want a guy to take some of those risks. He's a little undersized, but man, we watched him play a bunch with Minnesota. He's, he's got some, some stuff to him in the pocket. He's got some, charisma to him as a player i think he's got some leadership i, I like him 
I don't think he's your answer long term. I mean, Elway did last year. Is he is, is he better than Colt McCoy? A healthy Colt McCoy? If if McCoy stayed healthy, I mean, what's amazing? I think they're really comparable. And I would bet you to answer the second part of your question that Colt will have the leg up in training camp in terms of winning that job because Keenum's deal doesn't dictate that you have to play him. And Colt's been a part of this offense and this system forever, and everybody knows how his his relationship with Jay has grown and what Jay thinks of him and what the team thinks of him. I think Colt's still got the opportunity to start. And it's it's actually interesting as I think of it, you know, not having to pay him a bunch of money if Jay's involved is a great way for Jay to say, I can still give my guy an opportunity. Yeah, no no doubt. I mean, the the, the $3.5 million, you know, basically dictated the reaction to the deal. You realize that once they split that $7 million with Denver, and Bruce is the master, as I've said many times, at negotiating great deals for average players, that this was not your starter. But, you know, this wasn't your default starter. This was a training camp battle with Colt McCoy and potentially still a Josh Rosen or a young first or second round quarterback. Um, and and it's by the way, you know, a, a bigger picture look at this from the owner's standpoint. I have felt, and I don't know how much you and I have talked about this, and maybe not a lot in the last week or so. I just feel like Dan Snyder is looking around this year with all of the obvious erosion, the obvious revenue hit of the last few years, and telling Bruce and Eric and Kyle and Doug and Jay. I can't do another year of Pernell McPhee, Orlando Skandrick, and Paul Richardson. I have to have something that I can move, that I can sell, that I can market. We we need a jolt here. And Case Keenum isn't the jolt. You would agree with that, right? That's not That doesn't move the needle at all. I would agree with that entirely. I think that your feelings on having to move the needle is has is, is got to be important to everybody. Uh, look, you gotta, you gotta start creating some belief and some hope. There's, there's no question about that, but I disagree that Dan's involved in saying that I, I would bet you anything that he's saying it's just about winning and he isn't involved. I, I that is my innate sense and that is my feel for it. And until he decides that this group isn't going to win, I'll bet you he'll, he'll feel that way that it's, let's just find a way to win. And that's what will move the needle. I, I'm, I'm over the mindset at this point and watching a lot of games over the last year, and you've brought up the indie game a million times. You, you do need some fans there. It is nice to have some people believing in your team. But I don't think it, at this point Dan does feel that way. I would bet you he doesn't. God, that's that's really interesting. I, I mean, it's just uh, at some point, I guess what you're saying, and you can, you can totally um, – correct me on this, but I guess what you're saying is when Bruce came back for 2019, it's because he still believes in Bruce. And Yes. Right? That's 100% what I'm saying. Yes. Um, on Jay's involvement, I, I had this sense, and it sounds like you, you completely disagree with it, which is fine, um, because I'm, I'm going to learn from this. I had this sense that last year that you know that J- Jay is go along to get along as we've talked about before and and 
And I personally think he does know quarterbacks and can coach quarterbacks, and I want him to be influential in these quarterback decisions, much more so than I would want Bruce to be influential in these quarterback decisions. But uh, my immediate reaction on Case Keenum was, you know, Jay saying, yeah, that's fine, whatever. You know, not that he was pushing for it. I just – so I look at last year, and and no one thought – that much about Alex Smith. You, you know, there was the potential that they were going to move him. Obviously, people understood that. There, you didn't exactly know what the Chiefs had in Mahomes. As it came out, Jay hadn't evaluated a bunch of quarterbacks. It came out early. I don't think that he had watched Alex Smith at all, so I don't think he knew anything about Alex Smith. I agree. And, and, and that's how I feel based on timing. This timing's much different. The Broncos trade for Flacco three weeks ago. And so you know that they're going to deal Case Keenum. So I think Jay had a lot of time to look at Case Keenum, and I would bet you he was at least a voice in that room in terms of how you felt about Case Keenum and what you wanted to do with him. And and, uh, to to take it a step further, and this is – I have no clue because I'm with you that Jay's been go-along to get-along on a lot of these players for a long time. If I am in what is perceived as my last year as a head coach, the go along to get along is out the door, man. It's out the effing door. I want my guys. I want to do it. I want to take a shot. I want to try to do everything I possibly can to say, I'm the head coach. We're going to do it my way this time. Or, or you know what? Fire me if you don't want to do it my way. I would do that if I were him. I don't know if he's doing that, but it, it just seems like the natural response, you know, to your back against the wall a little bit. Um, okay, it makes sense to me. The, the, the one thing, well, let me just add to that. He believes in Colt McCoy. I still believe that he wants a shot at a season with Colt, even though it seems impossible that Colt could play 16 games based on, on his injury history. But that comment alone last week on the question about why do you believe so much in Colt McCoy? And he said, you know, I could be ignorant on this thing. But And then he went on and on about Colt McCoy. Case Keenum is acceptable to Jay versus a Teddy Bridgewater or a Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because if you were to sign Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick's coming in to start. He's going to be your starter, and you're signing Fitzpatrick, by the way, to a six, seven, eight million dollar deal potentially for one year. He's your starter, so perhaps Keenum for Jay was a better path to go down because that means Colt still has a legitimate chance if he beats Keenum out to be the quarterback. Do you I know think what- Colt has? I think Colt. I think Keenum would have to vastly outplay Colt in training camp to get the starting job, and I think Colt would have had to vastly outpay Fitzpatrick, depending on. That's what my point. That kind of so, guy. so Keenum was really, the preference. It'll be interesting what what Fitzpatrick is going to dictate and where he falls. Like, I, if he falls after the draft somewhere, he, it might not be six, seven, eight million dollars. I think seven's probably in that in that ballpark. But who's going to sign? Fitzpatrick. It depends on what you're signing him for. To your point, that's a, that's a, that's the the important point that you made. If you're so if signing you him to, to be like your it, starter, then he probably will get six, seven, eight million. If you if there's no starting job available and you're signing Ryan Fitzpatrick to be a backup, which is by the way what he was in Tampa behind Jameis Winston, then you are you know you're not paying that much i all i all the point i was trying to make is that for jay go along get along jay 
Keenum is a better path for him because if it had been Fitzpatrick, then he's got to start Fitzpatrick, even if he loves Colt and wants Colt. In this particular case, at three and a half million for a sixth, you know, a sixth swapping with a seventh, it's a training camp battle. And to your point, and I I, I don't disagree with you, Colt likely has the edge going in. And and he can and, other, yeah, and everybody I'm, I'm can live with that. that. Other, other than I just I disagree that signing any quarterback dictates that they're the starter. Just looking at if I were the head coach and I knew like I had this innate feeling in in, in my my gut about Colt McCoy. If I paid Fitzpatrick seven million bucks and this is my last year, I'm going down with my guy. I know, but that's so that, that's my point. That his influence came in the form of going down the path of the guy that wasn't going to be identified as the starter. Because if Bruce we had said, disagree on the fact that Fitzpatrick would be immediately named the starter. Okay, I disagree with that. I, I think if they paid him se- if if they paid him seven to eight million for one year, the certainly the perception would be that you signed him to to be your starter next year. Yeah, and then a lot of times perception's reality. Just in this case, I don't see that perception as reality. Okay. If it were me, I'd say, yeah, thank you for getting a, a great backup and a brilliant guy. I think Jay would love Fitzpatrick. I mean, Fitzpatrick's a good dude. The guys all like him. I think he'd be fine. I don't know. I like this Keenum thing so much because I, I, I saw this one path that I just didn't like is losing the Rosen trade or, or not getting Rosen. And maybe you don't want him. You know, there, there's something to that too. Sure. There's some scariness to him. Not getting a guy in the draft, not feeling comfortable taking your 15, having Daniel Jones, Ryan Finley, whoever else, fall before you get to your second-round pick, and then grasping at straws as you get into the early part of March and OTAs and saying, who's available? I, I know we can get Brock Osweiler. Like that's that's the, what you didn't want. That was the bad path. Right. No, I agree. So but... you took care of depth, and you took and you, you got a guy that you can live a season with. Yeah, I mean, I... I... Again, I mean, it's a good deal for an average player. It's what they do best, and it's insurance. And they didn't have it as of, you know, midday yesterday. Um, I was going to ask you one other thing about Keenum, and and I forgot. Um, How long have you been saying that Keenum was going to play quarterback for that? That's so funny. Somebody, a bunch of people tweeted me, and I had forgotten about it. When we were going. Keenum? You've been saying saying this verbatim. Who are you going to go get? Case Keenum? For five years now. So finally your dream came <laughs> Right, but that was before he had the good year in Minnesota, which, you know, everybody pointed out, uh, you, you would have taken Case Keenum's year in Minnesota. But for those that missed it, for a couple of years, when they were going back and forth with Cousins and not, you know, taking advantage of having an opportunity to sign him on the relative cheap, uh, you know, I, I just said, great. That's good. We'll go out, yeah, let him walk, and we'll have Case Keenum as our starter in 2016 or 17 or whatever the year was. Um, and he was just, you know, one of ten quarterbacks I could have picked out of a of a hat that were were unimpressive to me. Um, all right, let, let, real quickly on free agency, which starts early next week, and uh, on Monday we'll we'll probably start having um, reports about, you know, teams and, and players um, during that, you know, negotiating period. Is there somebody or a group of people that you've thought about for the Redskins? Not enough. I, I, I love the tight end in Baltimore that I think signed yesterday. Yeah, Boyle. Uh, Nick Boyle signed a three-year, $18 million yep. deal. I mean, I loved him so much that everybody I saw, I was like, this is your guy. If this guy gets the free agency and you don't sign this guy, you're crazy. 
I think he's a true wide tight end, which is something that the Redskins need a lot, in my opinion. If you want to run the ball and, and use some stretch zone and marry your run game to your pass game a little bit more, which I think they do because it seems insane that they don't, you need that. And you need a guy that's not a tendency guy. So I, I like to boil a lot. And, and in saying that, you got to go find a guy right now or you got to draft a player. There are some big-time tight ends in this draft as well in, in terms right. of wide tight ends. Right. So there, there's a potential to go get a guy in this draft, which I think they need. They need at least a legit dude as a starting safety. So you, Honey Badger, Landon Collins, Earl Thomas, uh, Eric Weddle. I don't know if you can afford Collins. I don't know if you can afford the Honey Badger. I love them both. They're both dudes. They're both smart. They can do everything you ask them to do, play man coverage, play down, physically tackle in the box. I don't know if you get – I don't know if you're in that in that ballpark. I mean, you got to do some things with your calf, I think, to, to be able to, to negotiate that. Uh, Thomas is interesting because he's not going to be as much money. Weddle's really interesting, um, not going back to Baltimore. I think he said in his post-game press conference after the last game that he'd retire – he wasn't going to stay in Baltimore, so we'll see what happens there. I, I like Weddle a lot. I think he's a really smart player. To me, it goes back to that. Like it, some of the some of the things in the secondary. I know DJ is self-proclaimed the smartest player in football, but you do need a very intelligent player back there and a selfless player. And I, I think Weddle did that in Baltimore and really dictated and ran that defense or ran that secondary very well for him. So I, I think that's really interesting. Um, like Mosley out of Baltimore, they're not going. They didn't tag him. That's really interesting. I know you have Sean Dion and Ruben, but you know how sure are you on Ruben? And is Sean Dion fully back? So Mosley would be big time in the middle for you. Sure up that front seven. See what they do with Preston Smith. Um, there's a lot of good edge rushers in this draft, so that's a potential at 15. Uh, and then you need like you need a uh, a nickel a nickel corner to me is, is one other thing. Oh, and, and by the way, we need a receiver. So, and I don't know if that's available in free agency at this point. The Antonio Brown trade. I mean, it, he hasn't he hasn't about, been dealt but, yet. You know, I, I'm sure you. I don't know if you were following this last night or not, but Ian Rappaport reported he was going to be traded to Buffalo, and then Schefter said that's not happening. And now, apparently, Antonio Brown said he wouldn't play for Buffalo. You know, I I wonder if the Redskins are still involved. Diana Rossini reported last night that they're out on on Antonio Brown, but perhaps that's because of the Buffalo deal that people thought was in the works. I mean, that is still... Here's what I think. Here's what I think. Okay. I think Antonio Brown thinks he's getting a new deal wherever he signs. Right. And so if he were to go to, let's see, Indy, Houston, Tennessee... In New York to play for the Jets, any of these teams that have a hundred plus million dollars on the cap that essentially have to give big deals, he could get another big deal. And so I'm sure he's hoping to get another deal. That's the only that's the only caveat there. If, if Antonio Brown was under his current deal structure, he is ideal here for the next two years for the Redskins. But if he's saying to to any team, <laughs> f that new dealer, I'm not coming in, then you can't trade for him. So his agent's got to be involved in that, and he's got to be involved in the, in that trade a little bit as well. So it doesn't give the Steelers as much authority to do whatever they want to do with him. But I'll bet you that there's a big part of the Antonio Brown trade where he's saying, I ain't playing for you unless you give me a new contract. Did you say this to me the last time you were on last week, or um, was were you on with me Monday or last Friday? I can't even remember now. Um that that you still think there's a decent chance he ends up in Pittsburgh? Was that you? 
I didn't say that. Okay. I just what I said to you is I don't know why Pittsburgh is stealing. <laughs> well, I agree with that, but he must be they, crazy. They've already and he doesn't want to be the there. Big part of his cap. They got the better part of the next three years of his deal available. He's one of the best three receivers in the league. I, I mean, you got to figure it out with Ben, in my opinion. Right? Let's let's get together. Let's let's right go on a little fishing trip. You know, right. like who who did that? All right, you you just Pacers players. You went through Paul a, Jordan. You went through a bunch of players. Will you sit here for five minutes and let me sketch out a free agency plan here for the Redskins? And I just want your thoughts on it. Yeah, if you'll let me ask you one question. Okay. How'd your sleep study go? <laughs> I backed out on it. No, you didn't. I swear to God. So. Uh, so what's wrong with you? I don't know. So uh, let me just, uh, no one knows about this. Uh, I care I, about yourself. I was scheduled for this sleep thing, this sleep apnea study. And uh, you know, uh, I don't, whatever I, I, it's, it's a long story as to why it was scheduled for me, but I got to that day and I told you this was on Monday and I started reading through all the shit that, you know, they're going to hook up to me. And I, I was just like, I don't want to do this. I still want to do it. I mean, my, you were afraid of having. It, no, it wasn't that I was that. afraid. Like, it was just that it was. It was just going to be inconvenient. I, I just didn't feel like my. You my need to go do it. Okay, I'll go do it. Fine. I, I, nobody cares about this. I'll go do it. That, 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 I care. That, that answers the question. Everybody cares about I, you. I want to. I want to sketch out this this situation, and I want your thoughts on it because I, I gave thought to this the last couple of days, and it's not completed because there's still some holes here, but. It's a it's a plan. First of all, after the Keenum deal, the Redskins have roughly somewhere around fourteen to fifteen million in cap space. All right, somewhere around fourteen million. Call it in cap space. A couple of things they're going to do here. I would guess over the next you know week or so, they're going to restructure Brandon Sheriff. By the way, if they don't get Sheriff restructured, it's not a good sign because it means that Sheriff wants to be a free agent. Now the Skins can always franchise him next year. But I hope that Brandon Sheriff wants to stay here, and I hope they can restructure Sheriff, get that deal done. I I think, and I had J.I. Hallsell on the show the other day, he's going to get 11 or $12 million a year. He's going to get a five-year, $70 million deal. Do you agree with that? Yeah, but five years, $11 million a year is 70. 12. He's going to get eleven to twelve million, so it's going to be somewhere max five, five years, seventy million. I, I'm sorry, fourteen million bucks a year. My fault. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. my fault. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Look, I mean, seventies. What he would dictate on the open market. Right. So, so I think you're probably in the vicinity of five years, twelve million dollars, which is sixty. I, I think if if you could get it done, he's coming off an injury year. I would have tried to get it done the second he got hurt, but I mean, God, that, that's maybe, so smart. Maybe that looks, that's so smart. Maybe that looks a little desperate, but I'd go to him and say, I don't care that you're hurt. And I mean, that doesn't matter at all, though. Let's get <laughs> you paid right this second. You got time. You, this is obviously something that's going to be on your mind in a big way right now. Let's let's knock this sucker out right this second. And let's bring you in and let's bring your agent in and let's spend a day together. Let's, you know what, let's go to Bonarati's and have some dinner and talk this out and get your deal done. And um, I would have knocked it out right that second. So I, I but I still, you, you realize that open market doesn't always dictate. Zach, Zach Martin's deal is for fourteen million a year. All right, Norwell's was Norwell was thirteen point three. Yeah, 
and he was a free agent. No. So you got to think it's lower than the being the open market guy. Okay, well, let me let me get through this. Ba- basically, Brandon Sheriff's gonna whatever they do, you're gonna end up with based on the the 19 salary the way it is now. You're gonna get some relief in the neighborhood of three million dollars off of the 19 cap. So that gets him to 17. You release Zach Brown, that's six million in cap savings. Release Vernon Davis, that's five million in cap savings. Release Stacy McGee, that's roughly two million in caps uh, cap Here, savings. Sorry. And you're in your at thirty. Now they could. And then you got to do Josh Norman. Josh Norman either restructured or if you release him, it's eight and a half million. I don't think they're going to release him. They said and they've been saying they think they're close. They don't have an answer there without him. I don't think they're going to release him. He'd be smart to restructure that deal. Yeah, but so do you have to give him more money to restructure? Yeah, sorta. Of. I mean, you can extend a deal and give him more upfront money. Oh. I like Josh. I, I got no problem with Josh. You like Norman. him in a, zo- in a zone scheme. Well, they run a lot of zone I know. They play a lot of cover three and a lot of quarters. I'm, I just don't like him. I just don't like him playing star coverage uh, in tight split receivers and third downs. So you get your your best receiver and you, and you put him in tight split. I don't like that. I mean, he was. I, I like him against bigger guys. Like I, I think he was okay against Julio Jones. I know that sounds crazy, but I think he was okay in that game against Julio. Gave up a couple things, but against bigger guys, I think he's fine. It's those quick in-breaking routes that he struggles with. All right, let's let's just assume for a moment that they don't do anything with Norman's deal, and he's he. But you get to thirty. But but you get to thirty, and maybe with a couple of other things, Mason Foster is still a potential release, isn't he? At two and a half million, jo- yeah, I think that's like two and a half million. Bucks, Couldn't George probably not going to release? You can't just release every other inside linebacker because what's what? Sean Deion Hamilton, Reuben Foster, and and Josh Harvey Clemens. So yeah. you're going to have to acquire somebody else there or draft somebody. Okay, Jordan Reed, can you restructure him to save some some more money? I wouldn't restructure if I was Jordan Reed. All right, so let's work with thirty million. All right, and let's just say somehow it's somewhere around thirty million bucks. All right, the um, we we both agree that they're not done at quarterback, but drafting a quarterback that's that's insignificant. Um, Here's what I have. Uh, first of all, I would like them to re-sign Jamison Crowder. Be- if they can get Crowder on the cheap, and I'm wondering after a year in, no which he, in which he missed seven games, caught just 29 balls, if you couldn't do a short-term prove-it deal with Crowder to put Crowder into a better position a year from now to strike free agency gold. Do you think he's going to get a big deal? I think he's going to get more than you expect him to get. You don't think the Redskins so, could sign him think, one year four million bucks? No, I think he's getting at least eight million bucks a year. Really? Yeah, okay. his film. I think he was asking for a lot more than that before the injury, but I think some of his sixteen, seventeen film, plus you know some of the stuff he did this year when he came back, is going to dictate that he can win underneath and he's got a lot of speed. And I think I think it's going to be tough to do Crowder in, in terms of a. In terms of a team-friendly deal, I think you're going to have to pay a little bit for Crowder. And, and also keep in mind, the open market for wide receivers is not good right no, now. No, you're right. You're the, right. They're not a, lot, not a lot of guys. Crowder might come in in the top four. Does come nope. in, in the top four. Okay. Um, that was the first step in terms of signing players is to try to figure something out with Crowder. I know you're a big believer in Quinn, and I know Jay's a big believer in Quinn. Um, but Crowder's more proven, and, and Quinn's also well, it doesn't been mean injured. You give away good players. I'm, I can like Quinn all I want. You just want to, you still want as many talented players That's on your right. team, and Jamison is one. So I, I, I like Jamison. 
Um, all right, Landon Collins, you have a need. He's a reported very good teammate, leader. We know how good of a player it, it, he is. And in this particular market, this is my view, to, to shoot it down if you will, with all of the safeties that are out there, a crowded safety market, as much as we've ever seen in free agency, I mean, there's a chance that his he's not going to get what he wants. I mean, if you could get him four years, $44 million, $11 million a year, you know, 20 of that guaranteed, you fill a major need with a quality player, quality leader, quality person. That I mean, I, I, I've got more things to come here because I think the pass rusher is more important than Landon Collins personally. But if you could get him at four for 44, would you do that? It also goes into that um, shoot the moon theory on Alabama players. You are essentially going to put together the entire Alabama defense <laughs> yeah. in 2016 because he's part of that defense right. as well. So I got to assume if, if they, based on their desire to build that entire Alabama defense, which I, which I, I mean, it was one of the best defenses in the history of college football, and I think they're amazing. I would bet you he's their number one priority. You do, okay. Um, I, that's so that would be my thought. Is and I'll bet you, like you got John Allen and Deron Payne and all these guys that are like, please go get Landon Collins. And the Landon Collins is a dude, man. He's he's a good player. I like Landon. What do you? What about the possibility that they are stubborn on the HaHa Clinton Dix deal and they don't want to look bad for giving up a fourth for him and they re-sign HaHa? Well, I mean, I guess one doesn't necessarily preclude the other, right? It's possible you could sign both. No, it's it's absolutely possible. I, I think that some of HaHa's stuff that was bad was really bad when you see a guy coming up to tackle, and and that's glaring. But as far as his ability to cover and and where he was as a single high safety in his position, so it wasn't it wasn't as bad as everyone thought. Like he's got some stuff to him. HaHa does. Also, a good teammate, smart player, works with everybody. Oh, yeah, he's part of the Alabama defense from whatever. So it's essentially like your goal of putting together 11 guys that say Alabama, that that adds to that. Right. You know, we actually joked about that a couple years ago, and it's crazy. I know. But you're not going to overpay ha-ha. I know that a lot of people had a problem with with some of the missed tackles and some of the stuff, but there was some things that he did that you you feel comfortable with. All right, two more names for you. Zadarius Smith, Baltimore. You know I loved the Ravens' defense, and he is an edge rusher. He's a complete three-four outside linebacker. He's twenty-five, twenty-six years old. He's been playing with T. Suggs, learning from a Hall of Famer. I think that he's every bit of what Preston Smith is, if not better. Um, and I, part of what I want this off season to be is I want them to continue to build a defense. You know, they already have a nice, you know, foundation up front. I want them to continue to build with young players on defense. Zadarius Smith, I was reading through all of the potential numbers for him, and a lot of people think that he could he could get up to eight million a year. That he could get a four year, thirty two million dollar a year deal if you paid him eight and you paid Landon Collins eleven. And then the last player I'll mention to you because I've always been a fan. If you remember, we talked about this guy during the two thousand fifteen draft. I love Shane Ray. I have no. No idea what his medical is. Oh, I like Shane Ray too. I I have no idea what his medical is, but it's going to keep the price down, the wrist surgeries that he's had. If he's healthy, if he's not a crazy person, he's 6'3", 250, and he is true speed 
as an edge pass rusher. If you added Smith, Ray, and Collins to your defense, you know, you, you, we're, we're now getting close to that $30 million in space. There, there's still a little bit of dry powder left for a guard, and I can't evaluate the guards. I don't know the difference between Quentin Spain. I haven't even, I haven't even looked at a lot of these guys for guard. You know, it's Quentin Spain in Tennessee, guard, John Miller in Buffalo, Roger Saffold in L.A. They, they're three of the biggest veteran guards. There's no Norwell out there. Um, there's no big, you know, high-dollar guard in in free agency this year but i think if you added you know if you added collins smith uh shane ray and if you kept crowder you basically you know added and kept in combination three starters and there's a wild card in shane ray and i would think that ray you could get a prove it deal he's coming off two years worth of injuries and if he's healthy, you could potentially get a short-term deal for not a lot of money on, on on a guy like him. And he's got huge upside. So that's my plan. I don't have a guard answer. Um, they'll have to figure that out. And I don't have a wide receiver answer beyond Crowder because there really isn't. I mean, Dante Moncrief's available. You liked Moncrief, right? Not uh, not. Uh, especially. Oh, I thought. Okay, I'm thinking of somebody else. I think. They're, they're, what about John Brown? Do you like John Brown? I thought he played very well for the Ravens last year. Yeah, John Brown was so good for the Cardinals for a couple years and was so bad for the Cardinals. And then how do you play well for the Ravens last year anyways? I, well, I mean, he, did, he did when, when Flacco was a quarterback. He made, he made some plays early. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about that. I, I, I like John Brown. I think he's a good player. Um, you'll be surprised what a guy like Zadarius Smith gets because you were surprised what a guy like Trent Murphy got last year. True. So, so that's the kind of like that young talent edge rusher speed guy. It, it might be eight, nine, ten million dollars a year, but there's going to be some incentive to that too. Like if Zadarius Smith were to hit ten sacks, you know, there's going to be some upside. That's the kind of deal you'd get with Shane Ray as well. Is playtime incentive combined with production incentive, especially on those prove it type of deals. Uh, Preston Smith, for whatever reason, is going to get paid. Not for whatever reason. He's going to get paid more than I think I'd be willing to pay him. And it's crazy because his his health and durability is phenomenal. It's just his production's down. And his agent and that, that, that whole camp's going to say, look, how many pressures have we had over the last couple of years? And how many things did we do in the run game over the last couple of years? But, uh, but for me, I'm going to say, what, what was your production there? You know, and I'm going to watch a lot of that stuff and, and not necessarily want to pay over $10 million, which I think is what Preston's going to get. Um, Zedaria Smith be interesting. Shade Ray would be interesting. Again, the draft's interesting in that position. You can find some guys there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at, um, at 15, there's a possibility of a, of a, of a, you know, a true potential edge rusher. Uh, you there know, also, I mean, there there also is a potential that there's a true edge rusher sitting there at ten, eleven, twelve. They, if Miami has to move up to take quarterback or or three, I mean, you look at their two corners going in the first ten picks. There's potentially a receiver. There's probably three quarterbacks that go in the first fifteen picks. There's two D tackles that are going to go in the first fifteen. There's a lot of guys that could come off that. I mean, you're not going to get the kid out of Kentucky, and you're not going to get Bosa out of Ohio State. And you're not going to get other... and you're not going to get Sweat at this point either. He's the guy that I've loved all year. I, I mean, his workout it means that he's he's no worse than top ten, if not top five. But there are twenty guys that are top fifteen guys right now, and so depending on how it shakes out, the idea of a John Allen falling to you, who 
might have been a top five pick is not out of out of the question. I agree. I agree. And but it, so I, but here's the thing, Cooley. It could come in the form of a D tackle. So let's just say that you know a Christian Wilkins or. Um, a, uh, a well, Quinn and Williams at this point isn't dropping. Apparently, he had a ridiculous workout, and they all think he's a that top, he, top, he. Well, he should, he's in, in a yeah. lot of drafts. He's a top five pick, right? Um, but if it were a D tackle, would you feel differently if a, a John Allen type fell to fifteen? If a Christian Wilkins or a Cleveland, you know, it's, it's one of the an Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver is probably going to be there because of his tape from last year at Houston, but. I know what you're saying. Look, they're going to have Oliver a... was a top five pick going into last oh, year. Oh, number one, um, number one at one he, point. He was, he was, he was elite. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I like how many D tackle, how many D tackles do you need? You sign another D tackle, and you better play four three and let John Allen play end. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like you sign another top fifteen pick at D tackle, and you got Allen Payne, another top fifteen pick at D tackle, and I like four of. You, last three years of first round picks are three D tackles. I guess you're, and then what do you do? I mean, no, you're, I think it's hard to get them all on the field. You know what? Your point is is the, your initial point is the best one, and that is the push for these quarterbacks. You know, prior to the Redskins, you know, the Dolphins at thirteen, you know, potentially Cincinnati at eleven, even potentially Denver at ten. Even though they traded for Flacco, they could still draft a young quarterback. Um, you know, Jacksonville's going to solve their problem with with Foles. The Giants, obviously, uh, at five. You know, you you could end up with Haskins, Murray, and Locke all gone. Uh, and who knows? Somebody at that point may really love Daniel Jones and find out that the Dolphins are in love with Daniel. It, 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 the quarterbacks always get overdrafted. Four quarterbacks like. aren't going in the top. No, 15. probably not. Right? Jones and Finley aren't going in the top fifteen. Yeah. They shouldn't. Um, you still you still think Locke's the second best quarterback in the draft behind Murray? Well, I mean, I think this is the crazy thing for me. I, apparently, I love Locke more than everybody else. The biggest knock on Locke, as I've as I've talked to people around the league, is that he throws way too much off his back foot. Well, you know what he does off his back foot? He drops freaking dimes over and over. <laughs> I know he, he does. throws strikes off his yeah. back foot. He's amazing. And then you have this knock that he he didn't play big enough in some big spots. His production was down a little bit. Like, do, do you know what it takes to win against Alabama or have great production? That you, all ten of your starters are not as good as their eleven starters, their ten starters. Best defenses it's in the country hard, in that league. You, it, it, it's hard to produce sometimes in that league. And I saw him make big throws in big spots against big time teams, which is not something I saw from Haskins. I saw Haskins make big throws against teams that they were better than, that they were more talented than. So, like, I, when you watch film, Kyler Murray's the best player on film. Okay, it, it's. I'll do it like Charlie Casserly since he's so high on Murray. Okay, he he can make all the plays. Okay, <laughs> he he's amazing on film, but his that interview stuff is real, man. Yeah. Charlie Charlie wasn't making that stuff up. People are telling him that because that's real. You and I watched him do the Dan Patrick show. I've referenced this a bunch of times. I that scares me to death. What he did on the Dan Patrick show. And I'll bet you sitting in a lot of meetings, it wasn't because he wasn't smart and it wasn't because he's not a leader. It's because his ho-hum, I don't give an F, I'm the best, nonchalant personality comes across as alarming. I, I, and and I, I'm sure he can lead his team. Lincoln Riley came out and said he can lead his team. There's so, I think I would, if, if I had no question 
if I was the straight owner of a team and if I wasn't getting fired, if I'd, I'd, I'd pick Locke. Um, I, I, Charlie, we all know Charlie, um, and have known Charlie. Charlie's a responsible guy. He's not going to make that shit up for the purposes of a headline. There's, there's no way. Um, and Tommy and I talked about it yesterday, the criticism of him from a lot of people that just don't understand who he is. I mean, I, I totally believe that, that, that information came from somebody legitimate and it was real. Uh, I still also believe... He said it came from three teams. Right. I still also believe that the Cardinals are going to take Kyler Murray number one overall. I, I just don't... I do, too, and I think that was a big part of Kingsbury, and them getting yes. Kingsbury, and Kingsbury loves him, and I have no problem taking Murray number one, catering my offense to him, and completely designing him around him, and letting him lead in that fashion. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, o- overall, if I wanted a guy that I believe is, is ready to play quarterback right now in the NFL on any, any level, I would take Locke. The thing is, is if you're a GM or if you're a coach and you go out on and something happens where Murray's the next best player in the history of the league and he'll sell more jerseys and he'll be more popular and, and he ends up being way better than Locke, your job's over. You're done. Right. So there's a lot of that risk-reward that, that falls into some of these players. But I, I'm in love with Locke. I think he's terrific. Um, we'll co- see. I mean, yeah. he, he got proven in the NFL. We'll see. Uh, lastly, actually two things. Number one, did you know that there are three potential tight ends that could go in the first round, including two from Iowa? Have you looked at any of the tight ends yet? Yeah, the Iowa kid. Uh, Which one? Hawkinson? 38. Yeah, 38's the is Hawkinson. 38's a piece of baller, man. I So I watched the Missouri. I watched all that lock stuff. Yeah. And so I'm watching the kid that were 11, Kendall something for 11 yeah from yeah he had a i'm I'm watching him on tape and i I think he can do everything he's a good wide tight end six six like 270 can block maybe could be a little bit more physical in the run game but technically able to do it they split him out he can go up and get balls i'm saying this gets a first round pick and then he had a bad combine ran like a four nine did not look explosive so i don't know if that helped him at all but you start watching this those two iowa kids like noah fant Ran a four five zero. He's a move guy, H back type of guy, and the other the other guy can do everything. Um, thirty eight, wore thirty eight. Yeah, T J Hawkinson. T J Hawkinson. Kind of a dopey look. Kind of yeah. He looks like it looks like you. <laughs> yeah, kind of awkward body. Yeah, um, I mean seriously, he, when you watch incredible. him play, number thirty eight for Iowa. He go. Like, he, yeah, he he plays like I do. He yeah, does. He, 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 he yes, is. He he's, does. He's a he's a first round pick. If he were there at fifteen. I think that's incredibly intriguing. I think that's the key. Look, I play tight end, but I watch a lot of Jay's offense, and I watch a lot of this offense. I think it's a key need in our offense is to have a legit no tendency on the field, 95% of plays, wide tight end who can do what you want him to do and also be involved in the, in the pass game. I loved that kid. So, And there, there, was a, there were some other good players. There's a kid out of Stanford that I thought was a good player. Um, there's some H-back types guys that I wouldn't draft because of Reed. Um, but there's some, there's, this is a good class for tight ends. Lastly, did you see what Griffin tweeted? (laughs) Aaron showed this to me this morning. Griffin, right when the Keenum deal was announced, tweeted out, that's definitely what the fans wanted. (laughs) Why, why is he doing that? (laughs) Well, it is. I mean, I mean, it's funny. It's actually, it's actually, it's actually funny. It's actually funny that he's paying attention to it, which why wouldn't he? I mean, I'm sure he's paying attention to the team and, and the situation with the Redskins, but that was definitely, you know, a shot at his former team. 
which it's fine, whatever. Is I, I is Baltimore going to re-sign him? I I've not followed. Yeah, yeah. They are. Yeah. They should. He's the right. He's, he's the perfect fashion. backup for for Jackson. Yeah. If you're going to operate in that fashion, you should 100% resign him. Yeah, I agree. There's got to be some. There's. I mean, it's it's far enough removed. And I I have no. I want to see him have some success. I think it'd be intriguing. I th- well, I think w- what they're going to do with Jackson just makes it obvious unless he was a pain in the ass which everything you read and I don't I don't know why Harbaugh would lie about this but you know the fact that the Baltimore organization liked him respected him and thought he had grown up and matured you know is is you know I think confirmation that on some level he probably has it's the right No play- we always did we always did this with cousins and Robert and saying like oh yeah this ex-girlfriend was crazy and she was crazy. She was way good in bed in 2012, but she was she was a <laughs> lunatic. There's a lot to be said for man. She grew up a bunch. Yes, man, right place, right time. She had a kid. You know, she's calmed down. She's a great parent. Yeah, she's not that same person. Now, there's a lot to be said for Robert growing up and understanding where he's been and having to go through some roles to to lose some ego. And I I, I want to see him have success. And and if it if it happens, you know, in that offense, I mean, Roman's going to be their OC. It's that offense that he ran in 2012. He can do it. Yeah, it'd be fun to see. I mean, I, I'm still hearing every once in a while that you know her current boyfriend, you know, and I guess they're engaged now. You know, will will say to a couple of his really good buddies, yeah, she can be a little bit nuts at times, but you know, she's she's pretty solid, and she, by the way, she's staying fit. She looks good too. So and she gets along all right with with all of my friends, and you know, right. Well, I got a couple of friends that don't like her. My, she, she's do, she's doing all right with my current wife. She's a little jealous of my current wife, but <laughs> I mean, all right. Um, she's, a, she's a nice side piece. I'll call you over the weekend. All right, buddy. All right, Thanks so, for having me. All right, Chris Cooley, everybody. Uh, that was informative, and um, we got through a lot of stuff, including that free agent. Uh, plan that I had put together. I the guard thing. I can't evaluate the guards. I mean, Cooley's got to you know evaluate guards or you know they'll they'll evaluate whether or not Quentin Spain from Tennessee or John Miller in Buffalo or Roger Saffold in Los Angeles if they're guys that they want to sign. Um, I, I'm not. I I, can't, I don't have the ability to do that. But I, I watched a lot of Baltimore last year. And I like Zadarius Smith a lot. I don't know what kind of deal he's going to get. The projection is he could get eight up to eight million a year for four years, thirty-two million bucks. It's a lot of money for for uh, Zadarius Smith, but it would potentially, as Cooley mentioned, be less than Preston Smith is going to get. And I think Zadarius Smith might be as good, if not better, than Preston Smith. The the Collins thing, I don't know how you could go wrong unless you way overpay. You know, is he going to get an Eric Berry deal? Maybe not. Maybe that's the reason you do it in this particular market is because of the crowded safety market, and you could get Landon Collins for four years, $44 million, $20 million guaranteed, $11 million a year. And if, if that's what you could get him for, it's worth it. Shane Ray's always been one of those guys I loved coming out of Missouri, and he's just had injuries. But in his first two years, he was effective. He had 12 sacks in his, in his first two seasons playing opposite. At Von Miller, you know, won a Super Bowl, played well in that Super Bowl game when Denver beat Carolina. Um, you know, but since then he's had two wrist injuries, I think maybe even three. Um, and it's kept him out of the majority of games the last two years. But he is explosive. 
Like, he's not Preston Smith and Ryan Kerrigan. If he matures and he stays healthy, he's the guy that would put fear into a defensive coordinator off the edge if he reached his potential. Now, maybe they'll do due diligence and find out the medical doesn't work or there are other issues with Shane Ray that wouldn't make it worthwhile. But I would imagine that Shane Ray can be had on a very short-term deal for not a lot of money. He's got to prove that he's healthy. So maybe a two-year, six million, two years, eight million dollar deal for Shane Ray. Uh, you know, and maybe it's not eight million. Maybe it's seven. Maybe it's three and a half a year, and you 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 have him prove it. And maybe you have a, a bunch of incentives there that you can build into the deal. But I do want them to add to the defense. I want a pass rusher. I want you know safety for sure. Um, and I think it'd be great if they could keep Crowder. I don't think they're going to keep Preston Smith. I think Ty Insecki's too old if you're thinking about their 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 existing uh, free agents. Uh, Adrian Peterson's going to come later, I believe. I think the Redskins are going to get through the spring, and that AP will probably also wait until you get into the summer and the need uh, from the Redskins or another team becomes obvious and it becomes a better situation for Adrian Peterson. I do think there's a chance that they re-sign HaHa Clinton Dix, even if they were to sign Landon Collins. Um, and I think that takes care of their existing free agents. We know that Jay likes Byron Marshall, who's a, I think, a restricted free agent. I think Mo Harris is also. And actually, the other guy that's a restricted free agent is Rob Kelly. I, I don't know if any one of those three are coming back. Um, but anyway, you know, next week starts what is a busy time. I thought the most interesting comment that Cooley made this morning with us is that none of this is being driven by Dan, that the decision to bring Bruce Allen back was a decision to continue as he has for the most part. And I know most of you don't believe it, but for the most part, stay out of it, um, much more so anyway than he used to. Uh, and that Bruce is running the team. Um, but he also, you know, I think that's a significant thing because you know how I have felt in the last few weeks that Dan can't do another year of, you know, subpar average players for good deals that don't move the needle. I just think this is a move-the-needle situation for him, but it sounds like Cooley thinks that that is not the case. Um, that doesn't mean... I, well, put it this way. If they trade for Antonio Brown, if that's still on the table, that reeks of Snyder being involved. And I would call Cooley up and say, huh, Dan's not involved? Come on. This is a ticket-selling, jersey-selling move. It's a move to help the team, but this came from the top because that's not a Bruce move. Uh, although, then again, they got Deshaun Jackson for a great deal, and he made the move on that. Uh, anyway, uh, it's going to be exciting, I think, the next few weeks. And every day we'll try to you know, figure it out and, and watch it, it go through. And I, I was going to say also that if for whatever reason there's news that breaks over the weekend that's big, big news, we'll come in here and do uh, a podcast. Let me tell you about Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. If you are thinking about something new, give Farish a shot. Uh, Ralph Perkins has been a good friend of mine for years. He runs the store at Farish. It is a great dealership where you will be taken care of if you head out there. They're right there in the heart of Fairfax, in Fairfax Circle. And right now they've got the best rebates they've had all year long on most of their vehicles. If you've been thinking about a Jeep, a Jeep Cherokee, a Jeep Grand Cherokee, or a Jeep Wrangler, 
plenty on the lot. You'll get a great deal on those. Same goes for the Ram pickup. You can find out all you need to know at FarishCars.com. They're located right there in Fairfax Circle. Ask for Ralph, but if you go to FarishCars.com, you'll see live inventory, live pricing, and their best deals. Let's bring in Andy Poland. Um, He's got a few anniversaries to go through. We'll get to those in a moment, but let's start by getting your thoughts on the Redskins trade for Case Keenum. What do you think? Well, you know, I put out a tweet last night uh, and probably on second thought, I, I have to rethink this a little bit, but I said, you know, it's like anticipating you're going to take a trip to the Bahamas and finding out it's a weekend in Ocean City. But <laughs> uh, That's a real knock on Ocean City, man. Ocean City for many, for many years was the spot. Okay, yeah, I mean, great thrashers. Not the Bahamas. Guys. Love thrashers. Yeah. Love the boardwalk. Yeah, it's, it, it's fine, but... But, you know, here's the reality. Um, I think this does not bode well for Colt McCoy, which is fine with me because he's only good for about three or four games anyway. Uh, And I still think there's the possibility that they bring in Josh Rosen or maybe even trade up for one of the quarterbacks in the draft. So it's not all that bad. Um, And for the price, what, $3.5 million? Yeah. Uh, Why not? I I think that uh, overall this is not necessarily a bad move by the Redskins. Yeah, I, I think in Cooley just spent um, a long time with us, and uh, we sort of shared the same opinion that this is this is an insurance policy at three and a half million dollars. An insurance policy on if Colt's not good enough, if Colt gets hurt, if they're not able yeah. to get a young quarterback like Rosen or somebody in the draft that's ready to play. Um, I, I personally don't think it rules out Colt McCoy as the starter to, to, to begin 2019 at all. At three and a half million dollars, you didn't bring in a default starter. You brought in a you know an insurance policy um, in uh, in Keenum. But um, you know the bottom line is th- this isn't you know a move the needle sell tickets marketing move. Like Case Keenum's not moving any needle. You, no, you didn't, no, 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 no. You didn't sell any tickets yesterday because you traded for Case Keenum. So I think there's more to come. Um, anyway. Also, let, let me give you some credit here because I think it was about seven or eight years ago where you said, yeah, I could see Kirk Cousins playing for the Redskins. He was still at Michigan State at the time. And I believe you said when the future of Kirk was very much in doubt in Washington that Case Keenum would likely wind up here. You're pretty good at this. <laughs> well, the, you know, I'm, gl- I'm glad you remember these things because, you know, Tommy never remembers any of this stuff. He only remembers the things he's right about. But I, right. I did say, I think a year before Kirk Cousins was drafted, that I was a Cousins fan at Michigan State and he'd be a really good selection for the Skins in the second or third mm-hmm. round and could potentially be a starter you know, and, and a quarterback of the future. But the Case Keenum comments were dismissive and condescending. I was like, right. you know, if you're not going to sign Cousins, you're going to end up with a guy like Case Keenum, goddammit. Well, I yeah, mean, what's that yeah, going to look like? Um, but that was also before he had a decent year in Minnesota. I personally think he's, you know barely a starter in the NFL. I think Colt yeah. McCoy and, and, and Keenum are comparable. Um, you know, people, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, people tweeted me and said, Sheehan, why didn't they just sign Case Keenum last year? Well, because Alex Smith is a better quarterback. You know, Alex Smith yeah. has been a better quarterback, and the potential for Alex Smith was a much better situation, which is why they had to trade for Alex Smith and give him a contract extension. Now, Alex Smith wasn't good for the Redskins last year. I, I don't think he was what I thought he would be, and that didn't mean that he wasn't on the verge of becoming that. But that's why, because they valued 
they thought, and I think most people in the league would have said Alex Smith is a better quarterback um, than Case Keenum. Um, by the way, yeah. be- before we get to your key anniversary dates, I wanted to get your reaction to Buck. Oh, God. I mean, th- th- this, the most galling thing I read concerning this uh, was what Phil Hochberg, his lawyer, said about it, that there were concerns about his chemistry with Kara Lawson. Um, you and I have done radio for a long time with different partners, and developing chemistry is a great thing. It usually takes a lot of time. And for them to conclude in less than two seasons that Carol Lawson and Buck don't have good chemistry is absolute nonsense. They got rid of somebody who had great chemistry with him in Phil Chenier. He didn't have to go. But if they bring her in and they feel, oh, it's up to Buck to develop chemistry with her, that's a joke. That's an absolute joke, and that's disgusting. And this is a bad basketball team. The one constant they've had through all the years of the ups and the downs and the Gilbert and all the things that went before and after was Buck. Buck and Chenier kept it together. And I know they're trying to attract younger eyeballs who don't watch television anymore. But while they're trying to do that, they're going to lose people like you and me who do watch games on television. So I don't know what the net gain for them for doing this is. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I, I just uh, you're 100% right on all of that. I, it's so it's so interesting to me because um, we've we've dealt with program directors that have not <laughs> understood that. First of all, chemistry is not guaranteed. In fact, it's unlikely. You know, when you pair yeah. two people. Secondly, if it happens, it rarely happens right away. It takes a while. And yes. thirdly, I would add to this: I actually and I watch a lot of Wizards games, probably too many. For, for the product that they are delivering. But I actually think that Buck and Kara have very good chemistry this year. I do. I could sense I, I last year. Yeah. I could sense last year that it was, you know, they were they were trying to figure it out at times, which is, you know, only yeah. natural. But I actually, in listening to them, it's a, I miss Phil, don't get me wrong, but I think the broadcast team of, of Phil and Kara and also Chris Miller, who I think does a great job in his role, I think mm-hmm. it's a very good broadcast. All and you know, and I give Buck a lot of credit for that. You and I both know this that you know right, you have right. to have some ability and versatility to make it work. And Buck's I'm done give that. You an, an, an old school thing on this. Uh, you may not remember him, but there was a guy named Dave Dial who used to do the college football. Yeah, on ABC. On a, ABC. Yeah. And then they hired Warner Wolf in the seventies, and they wanted to spice it up. So they put Warner in with Dave Dial. Well, Warner has since told me that Dial never spoke to him off the air, did not welcome him in, so there was going to be no chemistry anyway because Dial resented his presence. The fact that Buck was welcoming to Kara and helped her along and helped her develop chemistry and made the transition a lot less awkward than it could have been, getting rid of Phil Chenier, is a credit to him. And now they want to blame chemistry on him? That's a joke. It's, you know... It's it, it even goes beyond that. You and I have had this conversation so many times over the years. But, you know, first of all, and I made this point with Scott yesterday. And I don't know if Scott did something last night on his Sports Center. I haven't watched it yet, but he told me that he was going to mm. do his one big thing about Buck. Um, and he yeah. actually sent me some of the things that he was going to talk about. Um, I don't know if he did it or not. But, you know, um, but, but there are two things. One, Buck's still really good. 
Like he hasn't <laughs> lost his fastball. It's one. Like, if we were having this conversation about Dick Stockton as our local guy, and, yeah. or Jack Buck at the end of his career, okay, we understand he's not that good anymore. Buck is still great. Um, and then the, the second part of this, and you and I have had this conversation so many times as it relates to sports talk radio. I think sometimes these management people don't understand that a guy like Buck has made this connection over a long period of time. People have, he's become a habit for people that they don't want sure. changed, you know, and thinking outside the box and cutting edge and, you know, all the monumental Ted and Zach and the whole thing. That's great. I mean, go push your sports betting and, and have your basketball team suck until your heart's content. But you got to understand that, you know, change because for change's sake or the idea of being outside the box thinkers and being impressed with yourself in the way you think and the way you operate, you're going to alienate a lot of people because he has connected over a long period okay. of time with a lot of people and he's still really good at what he does. Yep. Yep, it gets out of the way, and and really, yeah. and and you know, the next guy that comes in, it may not matter to a lot of people, but it matters to me that he can talk about Elvin Hayes and Wes Unseld and and Earl the Pearl Monroe and people like that, and you know that that helps to keep the broadcast moving along. That me. matters to people. Anybody else? That matters to you and me. That doesn't matter to the majority. What's important though is that he's really good at calling a game, which he is. He's yes. one of the best. All right, let's get yep, to your um, what. What are we? celebrating here okay two things one sunday is the 50th anniversary of the firing of frank fellows who was frank fellows okay frank fellows replaced bud milliken who was gary williams coach at maryland was there for a long time fellows lasted two years he won 16 games over the two years they hired to replace him a coach at davidson by the name of lefty drizel but when they fired fellows they couldn't make the announcement because lefty's davidson team was still playing and they were playing what was not then called that, but is called that now, the Sweet 16 in College Park. And in the Sweet 16 game, they beat St. John's to match up with North Carolina. And North Carolina had a star player by the name Charlie of Charlie Scott, Scott yep. who was the first African-American to play in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Or no, one of the first. I guess Billy Jones was at yeah, Maryland right. before that, but one of the first to play at, at North Carolina. And, and Lefty almost had him. Lefty almost got him at Davidson, couldn't get him. They wind up playing Davidson against North Carolina. Now, unless Steph Curry's there, that's a 30-point game today. But Lefty took him down to the wire with two seconds to go. Charlie Scott hits a 20-foot jumper, and North Carolina wins 87-85. That's as close as Lefty got to the Final Four. And the Final Four was played in Louisville that year, so then Lefty could be hired. Shortly after being hired, he takes out a full-page ad in the Washington Post and says, we want you, James Brown, Jim O'Brien, Floyd Lewis, and Dave Freitag. <laughs> he got O'Brien, James Brown and Lewis went to Harvard, Freitag went to Boston College, had no career. And that was the foundation of what he was about to build to put together one of the great programs in the East, in the East and certainly uh, the great programs that Maryland had ever had. So let's fast forward now five years, almost to the day, which will be uh, March 9th, 1974. They are playing North Carolina State in the ACC championship game. In those days, only 25 teams go to the NCAA tournament. Only the winner of the ACC championship game goes. Regular season, forget about it. It's only the winner of that game. The loser either goes to the NIT 
or goes home. And they played what has been called by many, including Billy Packer, who called the game the greatest college basketball game ever played. NC State won 103-100 in overtime. Now, David Thompson is the best college basketball player I ever saw. And in this game, he had 29 points. He was 10 of 24. Tom Burleson, who was 7'4", had 38 points. And you could look to Len Elmore and say, geez, he really took Elmore to school. Elmore was charged with Connor guarding Thompson and Connor guarding Burleson, and it didn't quite work out. Here's another note that I came across and you're not have been aware of. Uh, this really was, was funny and ironic. You know, Tom McMillan was supposed to go to North Carolina. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And Lefty got him to go to Maryland at the last second. And while he was at North Carolina, McMillan was trying to recruit Tom Burleson to come with him because he said he didn't want to play center at North Carolina. Uh, winds up, of course, playing at Maryland. And it comes down to this great game. that's 55-50 at the half. Maryland's up. Nine seconds left, tie game, lefty calls timeout, and he says he wants Lucas to either drive the ball to the basket or kick it to Mo Howard, who's open in the corner, but he really would like Lucas to take the last shot. And he drives, he spots Mo Howard wide open in the corner. Elmore's under the basket yelling, shoot, shoot, shoot. He kicks the ball out to Lucas, who isn't ready, has to rush up a shot. It's missed. It goes to overtime. Down one. 15 seconds to go. Lucas, Maryland's down 101-100. Lucas is double-teamed. He sees Elmore open 10 feet from the basket, throws a pass over his head. Uh, that's it, out of bounds. NC State gets the ball. Monty Tows foul, hits both free throws. North Carolina State wins 103-100. Maryland goes nowhere. It's amazing. You know, um, last week in the celebration of the 100 years of Maryland basketball, Scott emceed the event up in Baltimore on Saturday yeah. night. Um, I couldn't go. I, I was invited to go, and I couldn't go. Um, had a family commitment on Saturday night and couldn't get out of it. But Scott called me at, when it was over, and he was telling me some of the stories um, that various people told. And Mo Howard was there, and he said it was really funny. He said, Mo Howard you know, uh, was telling a story and he said, you know, people have asked me over the years why I didn't take the shot. It was an open shot in the corner at the end. And, you know, he said at one point, and I'm paraphrasing here at one point, I guess Len Elmore was being interviewed and he talked about, you know, if Mo Howard had just taken that shot, I told him to take the shot as you just described. And we would have, you know, we would have won the game because Mo Howard was a great shooter too. And Mo Howard, Mm -hmm. you know, his, his response was, I've been telling people, you know, over the years, if Elmore could have checked Burleson, we wouldn't have been in that position because <laughs> Burleson had 38. And I and I would, yeah. um, Scott said that was one of just in, an incredible, you know, uh, list of stories that were told um, last week. I, I'm 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 really upset that I missed it. But anyway, um, a couple of things. Number one, I agree with you. I've always felt that David Thompson's the greatest player that I've ever watched in college basketball. With that said. I have watched that game many times, you know, as it was broadcast, you know, by Jefferson Pilot, you know, uh-huh. with, with, you know, of course, Billy Packer and Jim Thacker uh, on the call, the famous, yep. you know, ACC basketball pairing for those of you out there that are uh, Andy's age and my age that grew up watching Sale with the Pilot and the ACC games with Thacker and Packer. <laughs> and, you know, about that game, it was a pure game. And, you know, Feinstein, I remember in describing the game, T- talked about the lead official 
official in the game. At one point, there was some you know bickering back and forth, and the referee yeah. got in the middle of it and said, "Not a, not in this game, not in this game. This mm-hmm. game's too good for that." And there was one turnover in the entire basketball game. But the one thing you notice when you watch this, um, there's no defense played in this game. I mean, none. There is no pressuring of the ball. There's no, the the offenses run without any problem whatsoever to get the shots they want to get, which are all open shots. That that's the way it was played. I won't get I won't get into the conversation I had with Tommy the other day about watching the 1963 NBA Finals and and say mm-hmm. and saying to Tommy the other day that I think Demathis 2019 team could have beaten the 63 <laughs> Lakers, um, but that's beside the point. Um, David David Thompson was a, not not only the, the greatest all around college basketball player I've ever watched, but for me, and I know you remember Kareem or Lou Alcindor, and Walton was clearly a star, but Thompson for me was the first big star in college basketball. He was a massive star, and he went to Denver in the ABA instead of going to the the NBA, and he was involved in the famous 1976 ABA slam dunk contest, which Julius Irving won, beat David Ty came down to Thompson and, and Dr. J, but I think George yep. Gervin was in that, and I think, um, I want to, was, um, was Artis Gilmore? Artis Gilmore may have been the fourth player in that dunk yeah, contest. Yeah, he was in the ABA. Yeah, yeah but I, I but I, yeah. either him or Larry Keenan, one of those two were the fourth in that slam dunk yeah. contest. But Thompson was incredible. He was oh, unguardable. Yeah. And Andy, in that game, I believe that um, Tom Roy and Owen Brown, uh, the late Owen Brown, both guarded Thompson, and one player fouled out, and the other player ended up with four fouls in the game. Because yeah. he, he yeah, well, was they, they, he was impossible to check. He, he was absolutely well. He could first jump out of the gym. Yeah, he could also shoot. And yeah, I mean, here's the thing about Thompson as a college player. I mean, we base so much now on what we see in the NCAA tournament. He did play three years at NC State, but they cheated to get him. So the first year they were ineligible. That's, That's right. How Maryland made its only appearance with the McMillan Elmore pairing uh, in 1973, and then they of course won it in 1974. Uh, but 75, when he came back for what was his senior year, uh, they didn't go. They didn't go to the NCAA tournament. No. So, you know, one year, and he's known as, you know, maybe the greatest or certainly among the greatest college players ever. Yeah, uh, the, he, that final year um, was the year uh, in North Carolina and I think Virginia both went to the tournament in that final season uh, in the ACC yep. for Thompson. But, um, yeah, in 73, Maryland went to the tournament. They were a top-10 team in 73, um, but they lost the ACC championship games, I think it was 76-74 to NC State, in the game yep. that doesn't get talked about, which was also a great ACC final. But because State was on probation, Maryland went, and Maryland got to the Final Eight that year. They got to the Elite Eight and lost to Providence and Marvin Barnes and Ernie D and 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 that particular team. Lefty had two Maryland teams that got to the Elite Eight. They got to the Elite Eight. I'm sorry, in 75, it was Maryland and North Carolina that were in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but Maryland went as the uh, as the ACC regular season champion in 75, but they didn't win the tournament. But they went to the Elite Eight that year and lost to... Uh, lost to Louisville uh, and got blown out in the in that elite game, uh, elite eight game by Denny Crum in Louisville. But that was it. The, the, that and the Davidson story that you shared. Le- Lefty, you know, had a had three or four elite eights. Uh, was it two with Davidson? 
Didn't he have two elite eights with I don't Davidson? Know if he had another one, but I know I know that one, and that one was was it was damn close. And I, I I think he still would have become the Maryland coach if he got to the Final Four because they weren't winning it that year. UCLA was obliterating everybody. Yeah. But if he'd have gotten to the Final Four, I still think he would have gone to Maryland, but it would have made the choice more interesting. Yeah, he went. Uh, I I just pulled it up. Um, he went to the Elite Eight in '68, went to the Elite Eight with Davidson in '69, and then with Maryland in '73 and in '75, and he never got closer than the Sweet 16 after that at Maryland. Even though he had a lot of teams that we all thought, you know, over the years at Maryland were Final Four, you know, talent and and contenders, and you know, some of those teams had devastating losses. You know the 1980 team with Buck and Albert and Greg Manning um, and Reggie Jackson, uh, that team lost to Georgetown in the Sweet 16 when the Terps were, I think, a two seed uh, in that region and people thought they were a Final Four team. And, you know, the t- two of Len Bias's teams, actually three of the teams, two Sweet 16 teams and then two second-round losses, but certainly the, the two Sweet 16 years were years that that people thought Maryland was talented enough to go to the Final Four. And that will be the mark against Lefty, as he never got to the Final Four. But we both know that the 74 team that lost NC State, that you said this is the 45th uh, anniversary of, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. I was young, and it's one of the first real uh, sports moments I can remember being upset. That, th- that and the Redskins losing to the Dolphins in the Super Bowl the year before. <laughs> Um, but yeah. uh, that, that, that was that, yeah. But uh, the, the, the seventy-four loss, team would have, yeah. yeah. That that team that certainly could have been a Final Four team, and who yeah. knows? You know, they probably would have rematched either UCLA, who they played at the beginning of that year, or NC State in the Final Four if they got there. But here's here's the biggest loss that Lefty had, and it happened about six months later when Moses Malone yes. left for the ABA right. because you would have had Moses Malone with two first-round draft picks in Brad Davis and John Lucas in the backcourt. No way that team doesn't get to the Final Four and probably obliterates everybody, even UCLA. That's yep, how good they were. Agreed. Um, all right. Uh, that's it. I know you got something to do. I appreciate the time. Um, that 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 game is is memorable. That that game is still you know referred to. Although I think Kentucky Duke in in the Elite Eight, um, the Christian Leitner shot. A lot of people yeah. will say that's you know. That, along with the Maryland-NC State game in 74, are often referred to as the greatest college basketball games in, in history. And um, and it was. And you can watch the whole thing. They're all available on YouTube. And, and that's a fun watch if you're of a certain age to go back and, and watch that uh, because it was a, a an incredible, incredible game. All right. Uh, have a good weekend. YouTube. Take care. Thanks. Quick word on Launch Workplaces, which is a an office solution provider. And right now, I want to tell you about the place in Bethesda, Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. They've got fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, uh, complimentary drinks, a cafe, free parking, and 24-7 access located right there in the Massachusetts Avenue corridor of Bethesda. So if you are one that is working from home and it's getting harder to get work done from home because of young kids or pets and you're looking for a place and a small place in a shared uh, workspace uh, environment, give Launch Workplaces in Bethesda a shot. You can find out all you need to know, 240 
240-867-14. That's 240-867-14. Tell them that I told you to call and you'll get an exclusive free two-day trial. Now, Launch Workplaces has other locations throughout the area, and you can find all of those at launchworkplaces.com. Uh, I've mentioned this many times, just will continue to mention it. If you know people that want to listen to the show and they're struggling with iTunes or any of the, the platforms for listening to a podcast, you can just tell them to go to the KevinSheehanShow.com. Uh, the website has every day's show right there front and center with a big blue play button. It's really easy to listen to and you can listen to all of the old episodes as well. And if you get a chance on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any other place that allows you to rate and review uh, and subscribe, do that. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything and it helps us. All right, a few uh, quick things to uh, to finish up the show with. Um, Wizards play tonight. Uh, they th- did you know that? I bet you didn't know that. They 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 play tonight uh, against Charlotte, and if they want to make the playoffs, this could be a helpful win tonight. They've won two in a row, and if they're if you believe in them making this playoff push, they're three games out of the eighth spot. Um, well, they got to beat Charlotte, who's in front of them. Um, so uh, that would be a huge win for them tonight. I- I'm just telling you that watching the Wizards, it's like watching a summer league game. Every time you watch a game involving the Wizards, there's no defense. There's a lot of offense, and they can really score. So if they win tonight, it's likely to be a 133-127 type of game. Uh, meantime, the Caps, you know, they've got the Devils tonight. This is an easy, uh, this should be an easy game for them. The Devils are terrible, and the Caps have won five straight and eight of their last ten. They're currently tied for first place uh, in the division. Um, they've they've got to keep this this streak up. They're playing very well, but God, is the division competitive? The, the Islanders, you know, have won two in a row. The the Penguins have won three in a row. You know, you got the Caps and the Islanders at 85 points, the Penguins at 81, and Carolina at 79, and Columbus at 77. So it's still a crowded division um, in the Metropolitan, not to mention, you know, the dominant seasons that Tampa and Boston in particular, and even, you know, Toronto, are having in the Atlantic Division. College hoops this weekend. Maryland's got a big game tonight against Minnesota. You do not want a three-game losing streak to end the regular season. Uh, Aaron, after losses last week uh, to Penn State and Michigan, Minnesota's coming off their biggest win of the year, a win over Purdue, which I think locked up a bid for them. Um, Maryland's chances for the double bye still exist. Didn't help last night that Wisconsin blew out Iowa. Uh, by 20. But if Wisconsin were to lose at Ohio State uh, on Sunday, if Purdue beats Northwestern, if Michigan State beats Michigan, and if Maryland beats Minnesota, then Maryland's got the double bye. What Maryland needs to worry about is winning tonight, ending the regular season on an up note. They're seven-point favorites tonight. It's a gold rush game. Uh, I know that people are a little bit let down after the Michigan game, but this needs to be another good home crowd. I know it's a 7 p.m. start Friday night. Not easy to get to, um, but uh, you know, head out there, and hopefully Maryland can beat Minnesota. They destroyed Minnesota uh, earlier uh, in the season in one of their best games of the year, actually. They were down six at the half, 
and outscored Minnesota 48-27 to in the second half. It was one of Anthony Cowan's best halves of the year. Stick Smith had a great game. And Maryland really, you know, it was a game in which they played in forced tempo and rebounded and played good defense. They, moved, they, they went from man to zone in that game in the second half. It was a huge move by Turgeon that ended up really paying off. Um, and they won going away. They need to get a win, and then we can sit back and hope that everything else happens to get Maryland into into that double buy situation in the Big Ten tournament next weekend. It's a great college basketball weekend in general. Tomorrow, um, you have you know Virginia with a chance to win the ACC regular season with a win at home against Louisville. Then, how about this as a doubleheader on Saturday night? Duke, Carolina. Of course, you know Duke's only got three first-round picks playing in that game, not four. So I'm sure they're, I'm sure Coach K will complain that he just doesn't have enough to go in and beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill. But you get Duke, North Carolina at six, and Michigan at Michigan State at eight p.m. Uh, that game uh, right there for the Big Ten. Uh, regular season title or potentially a a share of it, depending on what Purdue does uh, at Northwestern early in the day. So a really good college basketball uh, day on, on Saturday. And then, you know, not a bad, not, not a bad day on Sunday either. Um, as far as uh, the Big Ten goes with Wisconsin at Ohio State uh, in a big game there. All right, that uh, that wraps it up. Um, not much more. I mean, I, I was going to get into the whole LSU-Will Wade situation, which is really interesting because I, I don't... They have a really interesting decision. Yeah, uh, with respect to LSU right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, but nobody, most of you don't care about that. But college basketball is actually, you know, we got a really good weekend uh, this weekend, which will be fun. But again, you know, just reiterating, if there's any big Redskins news, we'll come in over the weekend and do, uh, we'll do a podcast to address it uh, in the moment if it happens. If not, uh, back with you on Monday. Enjoy the weekend.